Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 137 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. <laughs> yes, for those who haven't listened to the previous 136 episodes, we are a father-son duo here to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as the wider world of college football, a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. Uh, and we are here today to discuss uh, Nebraska's loss to Minnesota, uh, as well as the big games from week 10 of college football, some big upsets, uh, and also going to uh, do a little predicting on what the upcoming college football playoff rankings will be. We're recording this on a Monday, so the day before the rankings come out. So a lot to get to today. Absolutely. And, and we will have to make a prediction or two. Oh, yes, of course. Um, but before we dive into all that, uh, we're going to stick with our tradition and open up a cold beverage here. Uh, I have more of my uh, Kona Brewing Company Island Lager here to get through. Uh, to get through? <laughs> well, and I am, uh, I opened up, you know, one of the nice things about being out east is that uh, the the oldest uh, continuous brewing uh, company in America, Yangling, uh, is available out this way. So I was able to pick up some Yingling beer, and so I am drinking uh, some of their traditional lager tonight. All right. Well, here we go. All right, buddy. All right. All right. <sighs> so, yes, uh, it was uh, another unfortunate weekend for Nebraska fans, uh, unfortunately. Because uh, we predicted uh, how this game would go on the last podcast, and you had a bit of an interesting prediction, uh, which was predicated on who our starting quarterback would be, where you said if uh, Casey Thompson started, you thought we would win 35-31. If Casey Thompson didn't start, start you thought we would lose 42-6. to uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, I presumed that uh, we wouldn't have Casey Thompson at all because Mickey had said... Alliance to say as much. Um, so I said that we would lose uh, 31 to 14. Uh, and the final score ended up being 20 to 13 uh, without Casey Thompson. Uh, disappointing loss uh, for sure, uh, but not a blowout like you were predicting, right? We were certainly in yeah. the game. Right. Well, we had a 10 point lead, right? And, and, and we had multiple opportunities uh, to, uh, to get, go to, go up 17 to nothing, right. To get one more touchdown. I mean, we had two attractive circumstances in our game where we could have gone up by another score before they started getting themselves organized. And, uh, and in fact, we were winning at halftime. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to give credit to, um, Mark Whipple and, uh, the, you know, offensive players, because at the start of the game, we were coming with a very run focused uh, offensive style with these kind of short passes, right? Just a little slants to give uh, Chubba Purdy some confidence, I think, after his rough performance right. in the well, previous game. And, and Chubba was run, uh, running the offense from under center. He, right. he was taking snaps, you know, he wasn't even out of the shotgun. Uh, but then that kind of went away. Right. Well, and also, I mean, because so we did that 
for two series and we drove it down, scored one touchdown and one field goal, uh, which the field goal really should have been a touchdown. You know, I I was yeah. frustrated that we weren't able to score there because uh, I knew they would adjust and they did. Um, and they really kind of shut down some of that running game we were doing and forced Chuba to throw it. Um, and when he was forced to try to do some of those longer passes, uh, that's where we started running problems and our offense really stalled for a long time in the game. Right. Well, and, and, and again, um, that it was a combination of our continued, you know, uh, season long issue of very poor offensive line play and, and, and then our quarterback play with, uh, in this game was again, substandard. You, you're just not going to win a lot of, you know, uh, big 10 football games with quarterbacks playing as poorly as ours do. Right. Um, and, uh, to uh, the quarterback's credit, um, the receivers didn't have their best game either because there were multiple passes, you know, that m- maybe weren't perfect, but were very catchable that they just dropped. Um, that is true. So that hurt too. You know, you are right. And I, I may be being too critical of our quarterbacks, but I still feel like, you know, poor decisions. Heck, I- I'll even uh, uh, fast forward to uh, towards the end of the game, you know, uh, where we've now scored the field goal after a good drive that I really wanted a touchdown. Speaking of not wanting to settle for a field goal, that last score of ours mm-hmm. uh, should have been a damn touchdown. The way we had moved it down the field, I just felt like we needed to we needed to get it in right there. Right. Well, and and at that point, it was late in the fourth quarter. We were running low on time, so the right the staff kind of took a gamble that the defense would be able to stop them and give us. Uh, time to get the ball back, you know, which they did do, but, but not enough time. Uh, but even in that shortened amount of time, we actually moved the ball. We had a, a, a third down situation. I think it was third down. And uh, at this point, um, not Chubba Purdy, but uh, Smothers was in the game. He, he scrambles to his right and has the running lane to get a first down and run out of bounds. I mean, he's clearly got the opportunity to do that. And at most, somebody's going to meet him right there at the, at the first down marker, and he's going to get shoved out of bounds or something. And he throws it instead and basically throws it out of bounds. Right. That play was massive. You know, if he, if he tucks it and just, you know, recognizes the circumstance, Hey, my, the important thing here is for me to get a first down which stops the clock and get out of bounds, which would also stop the clock uh, and, and move on and move the chains. And we might've gotten that much closer now because we had settled for a field goal previously, we needed a touchdown, right. To tie it. Uh, And that's where the previous uh, drive was so critical that if we had, if we had instead, uh, you know, found a way to aggressively uh, call offensive plays and execute so we could have, finish that drive off and gotten a touchdown, then we would have only needed a field goal. And that's, that's a way, if, you, if you're trying to climb your way back, man, way better to climb your way back in a tight game where you only need three. Yeah. Uh, needing a full seven is, is a lot tougher charge. That's definitely true. Um, and I would say, you know, in terms of the evaluation of these two non-Casey Thompson, non-starter quarterbacks, 
Um, I was more impressed with Logan Smothers overall. Uh, we brought him in on one particular drive, I think, in the first half, and he went three and out. Um, but once again, that was one, one I remember distinctly, one of his passes on like third down uh, was dropped. It was in the hands of the receiver and dropped. So that one really wasn't his fault. And then we brought him in late in the game because Chuba just wasn't getting it done. And Logan was the one who led us on that nice drive where we scored yes. the field goal. Um, and he threw a couple nice passes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's, uh, I believe he's the youngest of our quarterbacks, right? Well, he and Chuba are both basically sophomores, right? Like uh, Chuba, I think, is a redshirt freshman officially. And then Smothers, I think, was a sophomore, but has the COVID year available to him if he wanted to take it, I think. Gotcha. That's how okay. that worked. So effectively, both of them could have been could could have uh, been around here for another, you know, three to four years if if you know, positive circumstances happened, but right. Well, I'm not sure whether either one of them will be here next year. (laughs) Well, we'll see about that. But on the previous podcast, talking about the Illinois game, uh, we were very critical of the coaching staff uh, on their uh, preparation of, of Chubba Purdy because he didn't look like he was ready at all in that game. And it came out after we did the podcast that he was actually, uh, suffering from a minor injury that he'd sustained in practice that week. And he did, he, he wasn't even like involved in the practice on like the last two days before the game, which helps to explain why he was so bad uh, in that Illinois game. But the, yeah. the coaches said that that injury healed and he was going to be better in this Minnesota game, you know, and that he was getting more reps and they're trying to build up his confidence. And you saw what he could do once again, early in the game. But once the, uh, you know, Minnesota adjusted. Um, right. I, I don't know if you want to blame it more on Mark Whipple or on uh, Chuba, but uh, you know we really just completely stalled. Right. Well, I, I, I'm gonna you, you hit on the two. I, I think it's absolutely fair to be critical of both Chuba's performance, but also uh, Mark Whipple's uh, choices as as a coordinator. And part of that is choices within the framework of that particular game plan for our game against Minnesota, but also the fact that his offensive system has such a simple run uh, package that it doesn't take long for teams to uh, figure out what we're doing on the running side of the game. And basically once they neutralize that, we don't have a plan B from a rushing standpoint. You know what I mean? You, you, you should always have, uh, a, a counter to what a defense does to you in terms of adjustment, right? It's uh, it's an old adage that Tom Osborne used to say: you you, you never want to run out of offense, but you don't have to do everything. And his point when he would say that is that you you need to have an offense that is diverse and complementary enough that no matter what somebody's doing to you, you have a series of plays that are that are going to counteract what they're doing to stop you so that if they have made adjustments to their scheme through preparation or whatever, you know, uh, alignment um, that you can then uh, adjust to their adjustment. And there should be something that because they did this, we can take advantage of that. Right. That, that's the way it should be. Uh, unless the other team is simply that much better than you, in which case, no adjustments you make are gonna are gonna help, and 
and in the game of this past weekend, they aren't that much better than us. In fact, I think early in the game, you saw that in terms of some individual talents like Anthony Grant, uh, we had every bit the talent that they did. And our defense came to play. Oh, yeah. Well, if you look at the stats for the game, uh, they're pretty even across the board. Like uh, they had 300 uh, yards total while we had a 267. Uh, they had four sacks on us, but we had three on them. Um, yep. Both were bad in terms of third down conversions. Uh, the big stat that stands out that is very different uh, is they were 35 minutes of possession while we were 25 because obviously they were right. more of a run focused team. But yeah, you know, Bill Bush and the defensive side holding them to only 20 points. And if I recall right, one of those touchdowns uh, was off of the interception by the offense that gave them a very easy field to score on. Right. Short field. Yep. That's right. So. Exactly. I, I mean, I think I, the defense played well enough that we should have won that football game if our offense was even reasonably effective, because again, I don't think Minnesota's defense is anything to write home to mom about that. Now the next three teams we're playing, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then ultimately Iowa, they all have what would be considered exceptional defenses, if not flat out top 10 type of defenses. Right. So, so our, our opportunity to, to, to get our offense, some, confidence by playing lesser teams <laughs> that's all gone <laughs> and now here we find ourselves right yes very true uh also on the previous podcast oh well actually one more thing i wanted to say um was that um i will compliment our special teams and that uh obviously because our offense was struggling so much we had to punt a lot um, and it says here we had yep. six punts for an average of 56 yards. Uh, well, they had six punts for an average of 37 yards. Um, and you mm-hmm. definitely could see that in the game, you know, like we were able to Absolutely. Flip, flip the field on them quite a bit, even when we couldn't uh, yes. move, move it much. Our punter did well. Our field goal kicker is, you know, doing okay. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, we're not talking about special teams as much because special teams is not not killing us. You know, we still get the occasional blocked field goal, right? Uh, or blocked uh, extra, extra point. point. Uh, and, and and again, that is that comes as much from offensive line play. Like the one, the most recent one I can think of, which was, I believe was the Illinois game, that guy literally just whiffed, right? Like he came in pretty much untouched, and that was a blown assignment from uh, our right tackle, I believe. All right. Well, I, I, I might... Uh, I don't know if this was the exact play, but I remember seeing this one Twitter clip that some Husker fan had put on Twitter from that Illinois game. And the guy uh, on our offensive line basically just kind of crouched down into a position and then didn't move. And the guy just like went around and wiggled around him and yeah, went and got the play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have but a split second. All you got to do is knock the guy off his stride and he's not going to make it in time, you know, on, on an extra point. Right. There's just no excuse to have an extra point blocked. Yeah. Cause that is one of the quickest, easiest and, you know, tightest angles. So the kicker can kick high, right. He can kick it way up. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the reasons why that should not happen. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're getting sidetracked. The point being our, our special teams play was pretty sound 
overall uh, in the game against Minnesota and certainly didn't cause us to lose. In fact, uh, like you pointed out, the punting averages suggested we were flipping the field to our advantage, which we have not done very often in the last few years. Right. Yep. Um, Now, on the previous podcast, you said that your prediction in terms of the new coach, because we're I was saying on the last podcast that I was 100% on the train that Mickey Joseph was not going to be the head coach and that Trevor's going to announce somebody new here soon. And you weren't so, uh, you know, off the Mickey train as I was, but you said that if Trevor was going to do it, it would probably be after the Michigan game, especially if we lost this Minnesota game, which we now have. Uh, so do you think that after we presumably get our asses kicked by Michigan, uh, Trev will uh, come out with a big announcement? Well, uh, I, I would say that if uh, if he has a, a person secured and they are not currently coaching their own team um, in, and in some capacity still have obligations, then I think there's still a pretty good chance that that would happen. For this reason, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit la- on our last podcast, you know, you you want to give that new person an opportunity to to be announced, and if he already knows it, and and there's already been you know work done on contract and all that sort of stuff, then he knows what his availability uh, for of money is for um, for assistant coaches and that sort of thing, so he can be putting together his staff. That allows you to to start to. Uh, uh, do some recruiting and try to solidify the recruits we already have so that, so that come, um, you know, the early signing uh, period, you've already got some work done, right? If you wait until after Thanksgiving, cause Thanksgiving's late this year. And so if you wait till the Friday after Thanksgiving, when we have our last game, boy, you're not giving the new coach much of an opportunity. You're kind of conceding this recruiting cycle, uh, at least, at least the uh, freshman part of it, right? Right. So, so uh, that's where I thought that the after the Michigan game that that's two still two games left, so two weeks, you know, uh, of additional time for that that announcement to solidify and get get some other things going, as well as him getting on the road to to solidify the recruiting class. Right. Now, maybe Trev has already conceded. The, the recruiting class and that was kind of the point that I've read some commentary since then that 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 leads me to believe that well maybe maybe Trev is more concerned about again he's been very focused on the athletes the team the current team and specifically the current seniors to say hey they they deserve the right to to uh you know not be distracted and and be uh you know tugged in a different direction um before the end of their season I think that has diminishing returns when it becomes obvious that it's probably not going to be Mickey unless everyone else that he has on his list says no. And I think Mickey has probably tumbled down the list, you know, two or three notches just because he really hasn't been able to make the kind of uh, dramatic attitudinal adjustment that would get our athletes uh, with talent to play better. He has not been able to inspire, uh, you know, uh, us to victories. Right. Uh, we, we still are. Uh, and, and I don't know how much that is. I think if Mickey had it to do over again, he'd have fired Whipple. 
that's if he if he had had any any alternative to Mark Whipple, he would have fired him uh, along with uh, um, what's Shenander. his name, um, Shenander. Yes, thank you. Now, uh, you, you talked about that a bit while we were texting during the game, um, and I disagree that Mark Whipple was in such a state early in the season that he should have been fired because we. Uh, have talked about on this podcast how we liked how he had a, a general balance in terms of like how many run plays he calls versus how many pass plays he calls, even though he obviously leans more towards the passing, you know, that's what he really wants to be doing, um, you know, but, right. we, but we had some variety, you know, and like we pointed out in some of the previous games, there were multiple occasions where we had guys open and uh, yeah. Casey Thompson would just overthrow them or miss them, you know, so that right. shows that his scheme is working in a lot of cases, even if we can't properly execute on it. Um, and, uh, with the main criticism that I know I've brought up and you have, uh, echoed is his propensity to call for, uh, big plays on first down, uh, for go for big throws instead of just focusing on more conservative calls to just get the first down. Uh, that has been right. a consistent issue that I've had with him. Um, but I wouldn't say that he's done so bad that he deserved to be fired, uh, up until this week, maybe. Oh, really? See, well, I, I, I mean, I, I could agree with you to the extent that, um, you know, his, uh, his offensive play calling was, was, uh, appeared to have some balance to it, especially at the beginning of the season. Uh, there were efforts to do that. Um, but it just, as, as the season progressed, it was clear that once Mickey became the interim head coach, they were not seeing eye to eye. I still believe they are not seeing eye to eye at all on what he wants to do. I think Mickey would like to be much more run based and uh, recognize that he doesn't have a good offensive line. It's easier to teach and, and create cohesion uh, uh, for an offensive line while running the football. And frankly, we have a big offensive line, right? Our offensive line is quite large in terms of just physical body and weight and all that sort of stuff. So, so who knows what might have happened if we had really committed ourselves to a run-focused offensive line group, um, uh, you know, uh, four weeks ago or something like that, and done more play-action passes with with our quarterbacks. Which, again, uh, Thompson is a very good thrower, and we have good receivers. So if you had a a little bit more commitment to running and a little more diversity in your running, th- that would force teams to defend it then all of a sudden, you know, you got, you got openings in the play-action passing game. And, and I, I don't think we ever achieved that. Right. Um, going back to the coaching discussion here, um, I was of the opinion last week that Mickey Joseph basically had no chance of staying on as the head coach, and that is only uh, more cemented in my mind now that we have lost this Minnesota game. And to your point with uh, with Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa remaining on our schedule, we are likely to be a three-win team once again, uh, like we have been under the Scott Frost era uh, at the end of this year. So Mickey wasn't able to do the turnaround. And I believe that Trev has, you know, done his due diligence of uh, giving Mickey, you know, a solid amount of time to try to prove himself, you know, and give the seniors, you know, time to uh, really focus in on the season without the distractions, right? He's done, we've complimented him several times on his uh, media blackout in terms of this coaching search, right? Nobody seems to know who he's been talking to or what's really going on behind the scenes. So that 
you know, those chirping birds haven't been getting in the players' heads as much this season, I think, which is a positive. Um, but at this point, it's clear that this season isn't going to be salvaged. So I think he has to think about the future. Um, and so I would agree that I think if he's uh, presuming he's been having those talks behind the scenes, uh, then he should announce it after this Michigan game. Well, I, I would I would hope so, too, if he's in a position to do that. If he's got a g- guy on the hook that, you know, that they're negotiating with, right? Like his first choice, he's worked through the details with, but that guy is still coaching, right? If, uh, unle- uh, if he is a head coach, you have to wait till his season is over or at least mostly over until, until you know, a bowl game or whatever uh, is the only thing left. Uh, so that would mean basically that Thanksgiving weekend. I don't think he's going to be, I don't think we're going to be in the mix for any head coach that's currently going to be coaching a conference champion. You know what I mean? Like if you think about the potential coaches that are likely on our list, I don't think anybody that's going to be in that role would, um, would be on our list. So, um, um, it, it seems like after the, the Thanksgiving uh, Friday uh, game against Iowa would be the other alternative. I, I think it's going to either happen after the Michigan game, uh, you know, Tuesday of that week, or it's going to happen after Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you that that seems like the most likely options. So uh, let's get some predictions here. Cause this, you know, if it comes after this Michigan, this is our last chance to do some predictions. Um, yeah balancing who you want to see with uh, reality and who is most likely to potentially take the Nebraska job. Uh, who do you think is your top guess? Well, the one name that there's been a lot of buzz on, obviously is Matt rule. Uh, and I, I mean, I would be uh, content with that choice because if you look at Matt's history, uh, his resume, so to speak, it's not a bad one, right? Uh, the, the thing it's lacking is he doesn't have a lot of power five coaching experience, right? Uh, but he does have some background in the, in the, in the big 10. So um, uh, as an assistant coach, um, so um, he at least knows the league and knows what it takes to, to be successful in this league, I think uh, a, a little bit. Um, so Matt rule would certainly be a guy that's certainly getting a lot of buzz. Uh, but I, I, I just don't know why he would take the job, right? He's getting paid $8 million to do nothing. And, um, so it depends on what he wants. If he has an interest in coming back to the collegiate game, then, then maybe, maybe it is, uh, you know, somebody that they would choose, but he's also going to be high on the list for Auburn at this point now too. So, you know, his, his agent is probably having to do his due diligence and see if he can leverage Auburn against Nebraska and Nebraska against Auburn to drive up Matt's price. Right. Uh, and that might chase us away because Auburn will do stupid things. They've proven that <laughs> uh, they, they have. So, That's true. Uh, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they fire, you know, we, we can be criticized for waiting too long to fire people. Uh, they are, um, absolutely open to criticism that they fire people too soon. Um, well, their current guy was in the middle of his second year. 
right, they don't give them much of a chance. So, so, um, um, that's part, that's one part of it. Um, and then, uh, uh, so Matt rule would be one, you know, I've said from the early stages that I would be thrilled if Dave Aranda did it. Cause I just, I have a sense, uh, about that guy. And when I've watched him coach, when I've listened to him speak as a head coach, um, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And I feel like from a character standpoint, he matches uh, the Nebraska mentality. He's got a lot of uh, Big Ten experience, was fabulous at Wisconsin. Um, so I just feel like there would be a lot of reasons why he would be a good fit. Now, there's a bunch of other coaches that might be on the list, like uh, 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 Matt Campbell from Iowa State or uh, Lance Leipold at KU, you know, even Kleinman from Kansas State, who's having a great year. Um, but he might be having too good a year. He, he may not have any interest in coming to Nebraska at this point. He's looking at it and saying, why, why, would, I, why would I go to that you know, uh, division and fight that battle when I can stay in the Big 12 and you know, build what I'm already started to build here at Kansas State? Right. Um, Especially so, since the big boys, Oklahoma and Texas, are leaving. Leaving, know. yeah. Well, and that, that, that's also what concerns me about a guy like Aranda. I mean, he's at Baylor, and I think he would maybe have to consider the same uh, thing. Right. So, I, I, you know, I, 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 again, let's compliment Trev Albers. I have no idea who Trev has interviewed. I have, there's been no uh, even, you know, hints about what's going on with regard to uh, the search. So um, we could be completely surprised by the guy that is chosen. Right. Yeah. I think I would agree with you. Matt rule seems like, you know, uh, a, a potential likely candidate or especially if it is after this Michigan game, right. And it can't be a head coach of a currently playing team. Uh, maybe it's a talented coordinator from somewhere else. Um, well, I know oh, that, 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 excuse me, Alex, there, there is one other guy who I had kind of pushed to the side a little bit cause I'm not as enamored with him. Uh, based on his past that I knew about. But now I understand that there is somewhat of a connection between him and Trev um, and that Trev was uh, had a favorable impression of this particular coach, and that's Bill O'Brien, who's the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Now, Alabama's not necessarily having a great year on, on offense, right? So, so I, I don't know that you would point to that and say, well, obviously he's the right guy. Um, but he is the guy that, that coached Penn state in the immediate aftermath of, uh, all the penalties from the Sandusky controversy and, mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then was the head coach of the, uh, the, uh, what was it? The Houston, uh, team, oh, Titans, Houston Oilers, Houston, was it the Houston Oilers or the, the Tennessee Titans? I don't remember which it was an NFL franchise that he was coached for like six years and like four of those years, they did make the playoffs. Right. But, uh, but ultimately his micromanaging uh, kind of approach uh, wore thin on the, the uh, organization down there and he was fired. And so he's gone to the, you know, rehabilitation school of, co uh, of football coaches, which is the Nick Saban staff. And, uh, uh, and, you know, has positioned himself to, to get another opportunity. And so, but now here's the thing. 
um, way back when he was a young coach. He was an assistant at Georgia Tech during the same period of time that Trev Albers was working for CNNSI, it was called back then, and was their football analyst. So um, he and Trev crossed paths and, and got to know each other and probably shared a few cold beverages and talked football and philosophy a few times. He was a young assistant coach at Georgia Tech at the same time that Trev was a relatively young uh, sports journalist trying to get his start in sports journalism. They established somewhat of a connection there. I don't know that they became best friends or anything and stayed in touch or whatever, but they at le- he at least knows the guy and I think has a positive opinion of him. Mm-hmm. That's something I didn't know before. So that might lend credence to the fact that Bill O'Brien was definitely on the list and probably got vetted pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, and like you say, uh, we'll be talking about Alabama later, but, you know, they're, yeah, they are having a bit of a rough season by their standards, which means they're still playing well. Um, but, uh, you know, th- the environment there may not be great at the moment, which might entice him to be drawn to a head coaching position if it was offered. <laughs> well, or anything to get the hell away from Nick State. <laughs> um, only other thing I'll mention is that um, we've talked a bit in the past about, you know, perhaps some of these bigger name coaches, like especially uh, uh, Urban Meyer, but maybe Matt Rule as well, will p- probably might want to wait, you know, for a bigger job to potentially open up, right? Uh, if they're yes. looking for, you know, the ideal circumstance. And uh, both Texas A&M and uh, Miami uh, have only continued to spiral downwards since we last talked about them. Uh, so those two jobs, while probably not opening up this year, uh, are looking very uncertain for next year, I would say. So uh, a coach looking for a big paycheck like that might choose to wait. Right. And inevitably, if you're a if you're an Urban Meyer who's looking at where they are age wise and you know, coming towards the end of their careers and Urban clearly wants a chance to rehabilitate his reputation. So he wants a place where he thinks he can go and, and you know, take a program that, that either is in a hotbed of recruiting, um, you know, access like Texas or Florida or the Southeast somewhere or an Ohio State or Michigan or Notre Dame and, and then uh, or one of the West Coast schools, you know, and, uh, and jump, jump in and, and just do his thing, right? Because he knows the formula. He knows what needs to happen and how it needs to happen. Um, where a, a job like Nebraska would be a much bigger challenge for someone like that. And can he get it done in five or six years, which is about all the time he probably would like to have left, right? Coach for five or six years, get somebody to conference championships and be a part of that new upcoming 12 team college football playoff a few times, maybe get another national title, but, but certainly rebuild a program and your reputation as you walk out as a retiree. You know what I mean? I, I just, right. I see urban doing that. Yeah. That, that, that would definitely make sense for him. Uh, moving on here to some national pieces of news. Um, one that's relevant in the coaching discussion is that uh, USF, the university of South uh, Florida uh, fired their coach, uh, Jeff Scott. Um, he had a really abysmal record, I think something like four and 20 or something like that. Um, so that's another, uh, you know, job that's open, obviously not one of the very, you know, prominent power five, uh, type schools. 
Um, but uh, you know, another another opening in the college world for us at Nebraska to consider. Well, right, and and again, uh, the issue is, uh, you know, uh, when when you have uh, the golden son Scott Frost come to Nebraska and not be able to to succeed, it has to create a little pause for just about any coach before they take the Nebraska job to say, why is it that people are struggling so much to succeed at a place that has all of these pluses? You know, they're in, they're in the big 10 conference. They're getting huge paydays. They have nice facilities. They, they're putting on brand new facilities are coming online this year that are going to make them top, top dog, you know, for a few years, right. On facility side, uh, the finances of their athletic department are fabulous. Why wouldn't you want to go to Nebraska? And the answer is always the same thing. Can you recruit to Lincoln? Mm-hmm. That is the challenge. Now, historically, we were able to do that back in the old era. But in this new era where everybody's on TV and all that sort of stuff, and you and only four teams are prominent in that there's only four teams in the playoff, and, and Nebraska's not one of them, then guess what? It's really hard entice kids to to go you know live and choose to spend the next four or five years of their life in lincoln nebraska uh, when they have the other choice of even a usf right would would i rather spend my four years in south florida or would i rather spend them in lincoln nebraska no that's true though if you end up going to uh miami you'll be playing in a stadium that's 90 percent empty and you definitely don't get that in nebraska so that's one thing we well, got <laughs> Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. It's, but but it depends on what the athlete wants, right? Right. And 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 so you have to have somebody who's willing to to do that. That that's why Mickey, I think, has caught in lightning in the bottle in terms of the the enamor that Nebraska fans have with Mickey is they know he understands the history of Nebraska football. He clearly articulates that well. He is a known recruiter, which that is the single most important thing. Uh, for uh, the coach to have. Now, they don't have to be great recruiter like Mickey, but they have to have an awareness of how critically important and how much time and commitment there needs to be to recruiting if you're going to be successful long-term at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to acquire talent there. If Everything else will come, right? Uh, if you acquire talent, you're going to have the best resources. You're going to have the ability to get whatever you need, right? And in this day and age of football assistant coaches and analysts that everybody can have, I mean, you ought to be able to surround yourself with enough, with a large enough, because of the money, a large enough talent pool of, of, of uh, coaches that are both great recruiters and great uh, coaches that you can compete uh, within the Big Ten and be competitive. We haven't even been competitive in the Big Ten for years now. Uh, and we're going to be fine on NIL. Are we going to be Ohio State or Michigan? Probably not. But uh, we can probably compete with every other school, you know, not named USC, uh, uh, um, in the Big Ten with regards to NIL. So there, there's no reason for us not to have success. Uh, 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 but except the coaches, the coaching staff, have to understand the, uh, talent evaluation and talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. Right. And to have the patience to 
build up in a uh, conference, in a league that is very physical uh, and very difficult, as we've seen, right? You know, even the Big Ten West, which is traditionally the uh, weaker of the two leagues of the Big Ten, uh, has a lot of good football teams. You know, maybe they're not great, but pretty much all of them are at least good. So there's no freebies, right? You got to play hard week in and week out. Yep, you you're, you hit it right on the head, Alex. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, another big piece of news uh, that's a little bit uh, older now, uh, but uh, the Big 12 was negotiating this media deal, and we heard some stories behind the scenes about that. Uh, and so it finally got sealed, um, and it is for uh, $380 million per year, which comes out to about $31 million per school. Uh, this is between the Big 12, ESPN, and Fox for seven years. Um, so while it is uh, definitely significantly lower in terms of monetary value than what uh, the Big Ten or the SEC is getting, uh, it's a solid contract. And, you know, given the state the Big 12 was in uh, just a year ago when uh, Texas and Oklahoma suddenly announced they were leaving, I think you have to give the Big 12 commissioner some credit that he's managed to salvage the situation pretty well there. Absolutely. And and those numbers, keep in mind, don't include third tier rights. Uh, and so when they do the math, I think most of the articles writing about that uh, contract would predict that instead of that 30 early uh, low 30s number, that it's most likely going to be 45 to 50 million dollars per team is what most teams are going to get uh, for their overall uh, media rights. Right. So. Um, um, that's pretty good. Yeah, you're $30 million a year behind the Big Ten, but uh, compared to anybody other than the SEC and the Big Ten, you're probably sitting second. I mean, excuse me, third. Uh, <laughs> um, you're better than the ACC even. And, uh, uh, and so, yes, tip your cap to the Big 12 commissioner for being able to you know, leverage basically the desire of ESPN to secure um, some uh, college football product. Uh, and they were ready to go to the table and finish that conversation uh, more aggressively than the Pac-12 was. Uh, and I think that was very wise of them to do that because I think that, that puts them in the lead um, uh, if the Pac-12 was to lose a couple more schools, let's say, to the Big Ten then um, the Pac-12 would find themselves in trouble and at risk of being, um, you know, overtaken uh, by the Big 12 as well. Right. Now, that's definitely true. <clears throat> um, looking at the games from week 10 of college football, um, there were a lot hey, of big... Can I, can I stop one thing? Sure. W what's your thought on the coaching search for Nebraska? I mean, who, who, who are you thinking... Based on the, you know, I know you you read some bulletin boards that I don't frequent as much. Um, I uh, I'm curious what your thoughts right. are on on who you think we we right. might end up with or and why. Yeah, I saw um, it was something on the Husker Reddit last week that I saw that was basically some uh, Nebraska journalist posting saying that, uh, you know, he was hearing rumblings and I think Matt rules name was mentioned and saying it was still nothing concrete, but that, you know, we're starting to hear, you know, crumbs, bread, breadcrumbs of things, which we weren't before. So that means that, you know, wheels are moving 
in the athletic department there at Nebraska. Um, so I, I think the Matt Rule thing is a definite possibility. I know, I think we kind of wrote that off uh, when we first talked about his firing from the NFL earlier. Um, but I do think that's a real possibility. Uh, I agree with you that Dave Aranda is a solid choice. Um, I was more on the Matt Campbell train, but um, I'm kind of falling off that now because Iowa State's uh, struggled a bit here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you that uh, somebody who understands the importance of recruiting uh, and has understands the mentality of Nebraska, right? Because I was thinking about it, right? We had, you know, since Frank Solich, we had Bill Callahan, who was very much not, you know, the traditional Nebraska type. We had Bo Pelini, who had some Nebraska history, you know, as our coach before um, and had guidance directly from the master, Tom Osborne, as athletic director. Um, but he didn't uh, take that advice um, as much to heart as we would have liked. And then Mike Riley, something totally different. Scott Frost, very much Nebraska legacy. You would think that he really gets what we're all about. Um, but then we hear these stories about how, you know, he wasn't necessarily wild about coming to Nebraska and had to be kind of convinced to do it and, you know, is took more from his experiences at Oregon and stuff like that, trying to run this more pass-focused offense and all that stuff. So uh, not to say that this person needs to have literal coaching history at Nebraska, uh, but just somebody who, uh, you know, understands that physicality, uh, the importance of the run, you know, and what the Big Ten takes uh, to succeed in that league. I think those are the keys that I'm looking for. Yep. Okay. But so other than the Matt Rule and uh, Dave Aranda, uh, you know, Campbell, Leipold, um, any of the other candidates that you've heard about that, that catch your fancy? Like, what do you think of the Bill O'Brien uh, angle? Um, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to that. I admit I haven't re- looked into him as much. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, clearly he's had success in the NFL. He's uh, had su- some, some success at Alabama, even if not uh, great success. I was just reading an article today about how um, – Basically, the headline was that Nick Saban is closer to retiring now than he has ever been, which was not <laughs> not to say that he's actually going to retire. Like, that's not a realistic possibility. But that, you know, the NIL thing has kind of killed some of his passion and that he's brought in all these young coaches that are good recruiters, but clearly they're not the best coaches. And maybe he needs to get some old blood uh, into that coaching staff. Uh, to fix Mm -hmm. some of the problems he's currently having, uh, which I don't know Bill O'Brien specifically, but I assume he is more of a middle-aged guy, right? He's not a young guy. Yeah. No, he's not a young guy. Right. Um, So he's more of that kind of style. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to something like that, though the, you know, the micromanaging thing that apparently got him kicked out of the NFL, uh, I do wonder how that would go down uh, at Nebraska. But uh, on the other hand, it sounds like Scott was maybe too hands off, you know. Yes. So maybe exactly. somebody who's more more hands on wouldn't be uh, would be accepted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the thing with him is he, he's a grinder and he's a guy that probably doesn't have a lot of hobbies. And those are two things that Trev specifically said. He wants. That's right? true. He wants somebody who is a grinder and somebody who is. um you know, just not gonna, uh, be off playing golf. Right. Definitely true. Definitely true. 
Uh, okay, so week 10 of college football had some big games, and we predicted some of them. Uh, and the big one that everybody had their eye on was, of course, uh, Georgia and Tennessee. Um, now, the college football uh, playoff rankings came out after we did our previous week's podcast, um, and they kind of had a bit of a shocking uh, ranking where they had uh, Tennessee at number one and Georgia at number three, with Ohio State number two, whereas I, I believe in both the AP and the coaches poll, it was uh, reversed, where uh, Georgia was one, uh, t- Ohio State was two, and Tennessee was three. Um, so the committee saw some stuff in Tennessee with their upset over Alabama and their impressive performance from the previous week that, uh, you know, uh, that maybe they really were the best team in the country. Uh, and Georgia came in and disproved everybody of that notion. Uh, uh, we predicted that Georgia would win. I said 42-35. You said 31-24. Uh, ended up being a lower scoring game of 27-13. to though it was actually 27 to 6 for a majority of the game with Tennessee only getting two field goals. Yep, uh, well and uh, you know, I mean Georgia's defense is just very impressive. Um and their offense is very good also. I don't mean to diminish that, but but uh but what they were able to do against the Tennessee team that looked to have a pretty impressive offensive array of talent um was uh you know, something to watch. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, and frankly, I think Tennessee also threw some interceptions. I think after like the second interception, I kind of switched the game to something else because I was like, oh, this isn't interesting. You know, Georgia's clearly going to win. But I did get to see live uh, this amazing uh, punt uh, that got everybody excited, which was uh, the Georgia punter kicked a punt that went a real long way past the uh, uh, Tennessee uh, receiver receiver yeah um also with good blocking by georgia and they had a whole row of guys running down towards the ball but the ball outpaced them and it rolled and went right out at like the one yard line the two or the one yard line it just rolled the right out yard of, line rolled right out of bounds and everybody in the stadium is freaking out it was a 75 yard punt and uh, I don't know that there's much competition but that's the best punt i've ever seen in college football <laughs> yeah no, exactly. Exactly. It was exactly what you would draw up, right? If you wanted the perfect punt, that was it. Yeah. So that was that was kind of exciting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I, I, I suspect that, uh, you know, having the playoff committee rank them number three uh, gave them some extra fire in the locker room for those Georgia players to go out there and uh, prove that they were wrong. And uh, for this upcoming playoff ranking, which will be released tomorrow, I've, there's no doubt in my mind that Georgia will be number one uh, where I think they deservedly belong. Yes. Yep. I, I think that's true. And Ohio State, even though they struggled uh, for quite a bit of time, uh, against uh, Northwestern, they eventually, you know, got it together, kind of figured it out uh, enough and, you know, won the game pretty solidly by 21 points. I think that was the final score, right? Like 28 to seven or something like that. Um, so, um, you know, um, every team is going to have, even Georgia had a game where they struggled, right? So, so, um, uh, and didn't win by the the margin they were supposed to win by. So I, I I don't get overly concerned about that with Ohio State, and I expect them to be number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, I I would agree with that sentiment. 
Um, another big game that we also predicted in the SEC was Alabama versus LSU. Uh, I predicted that uh, Alabama would have some struggles like they did in the Tennessee game uh, with all the penalties and stuff and that they would uh, lose. So I predicted LSU winning 45 to 42, while you predicted that Alabama would win 31 uh, 24. Uh, ended up going into overtime with a victory of 32-31 with LSU scoring on the two-point conversion in overtime. Yes, that was, I watched that game quite a bit. It was kind of flipping back and forth, obviously, between some of the other games that were going on at that time as well. But that game was quite exciting. And, uh, you know, I always love it when Alabama loses. You know, you know that. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I was frankly shocked and a little a little impressed that lsu you know you know to, to some extent it's it is book it is in the book so to speak to say okay i'm in a potential tie in an overtime situation but i'm at home uh you know my offense just scored on one big play i've got a bunch of positive energy the crowd's going nuts let's go win this thing right now and uh, but it's one thing to say that it's another thing that for uh, as a coach to do that, knowing that if you're wrong, you're going to lose the game, right? It's not just, oh, gee, if I don't, if I don't get it, uh, you know, we go back to the other end and, and we do another round of this stuff. Nope. You, you're that you're putting it all on the line. You're going to win it or lose it right now. True. And uh, in this era of, you know, uh, overtime, that's a gutsy call. Yeah. Well, and also they, uh, they scored pretty much on one big play, uh, like yeah. it wasn't like they, you know, had several plays to kind of grind it out to get the the touchdown. No, it was just one big play. So I don't know if you consider that a positive or negative in the sense that, well, you guys haven't proved in this particular series that you can uh, grind Alabama down and, you know, uh, right. uh, beat oh, them no. in a two-yard situation. And in fact, Alex, the whole game, I, I would say that, right? Like Alabama seemed to be a much more consistently – uh, a much more consistent offensive football team. They were able to move the football and, uh, you know, do some uh, do some damage, so to speak, and they had a lot of things working, whereas LSU seemed to be scoring its points on some bigger play type of things, right? right. So, um, um, yeah, and I, I'm sure that played into the decision as well, is, you know, if, if I'm going to go back and forth with this Alabama team, eventually they're going to be able to grind something out that we can't. Because they're the better grinder, but right. but right now I have all this energy, all this positive momentum. I'm going to seize on it right. and give it a go. Yep, I'm and they did it, and they got it. Yep, it was, I was watching that game too, and it's impressive, especially considering this LSU team struggled a lot at the beginning of the year, but they've kind of found some momentum here uh, later on in the season. Um, yes. There was one play in particular uh, that we wanted to spend some time on, which was uh, right near the end of the second half. Uh, the Alabama was driving it, uh, and their player fumbled the ball and the LSU player uh, got it. And so it seemed like, oh, LSU got the ball. They stopped Alabama from scoring any points on this, you know, drive at the end of the, uh, second quarter. Uh, but then it got reviewed, uh, and it was determined that the Alabama player who had fumbled the ball and who had kind of slid on the ground and his legs were out of bounds, he got like a finger on the ball in the scuffle as the LSU player was trying to bob, kind of bobble it and get in possession. Uh, 
And according to the letter of the law of the rules, that meant that it was now a out-of-bounds ball and it was still Alabama's possession, uh, which uh, obviously... I, I, I still don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and yeah, and, and uh, Brian Kelly basically demanded a long explanation from the refs on that one, you know, and they didn't uh, continue the game until that finished. And I don't blame him because it was a very weird situation. Um, and so right here I have NCA rule four, section two, article three, a loose ball <laughs> out of bounds. So it says a ball, not in player control other than a kick that scores a field goal is out of bounds when it touches the ground, a player, a game official, or anything else that is out of bounds or that is on or outside a boundary line. So I can't get too mad at the refs because according to the letter of the law, it says here that if a, you know, ball not in player control touches a player who is out of bounds, then it is just out in general. However, I think that rule would make more sense if it was, you know, a fighting for possession or in possession of the ball, right? You know, like if that Alabama player, uh, you know, kind of grabbed the ball and was fighting for it and his legs were out of bounds, right? Okay, I could see you making the argument that, you know, um, that means, okay, it's out of bounds. But he was not in real contention for the ball. Like I said, his fingers like briefly brush the ball and then the LSU player right. secures it. So, because to, to me, that seems like a rule that could be... Well, while the ball was still in bounds. Right. The ball was still in bounds this whole time, obviously. Yes. yes. So, yes. it seems like a, a rule that can be easily exploited, right? You know, where it's like, well, if you fumble the ball near the sideline, you know, just just try and touch it, you know, while your leg, your foot's in the, in the white, right? You know, and then you, right. you avoid well, your yeah. mistake. T touch it. Don't slap it. You know, uh, a lot of times people will get get uh, uh, get called for because if you purposely you know kick a ball out of bounds or or punch you know with your arm a ball let's say you're in bounds and and it's a fumble so there's a loose ball on the ground if you just re reach over and and very clearly swipe the ball just to get it away from the your opponent and have it go out of bounds you know, they can, they can call you for that, right. That, that you swiped it out of bounds. Um, I don't remember exactly, but there's a, there's a, there's a rule that basically says you can't do that. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, this is like the reverse of that. Instead, you have to get yourself out of bounds, <laughs> right. And then touch it. Right. Uh, so it, it would almost motivate somebody to purposely get out of bounds and then reach for the ball. Right. And as long as you touched it before the other team secured control, you have accomplished your goal. Right. And then we talked a bit, there was a play right at the end of the game. I think it was on the play where Alabama scored in overtime where a Clemson player put his hand up and his finger just barely grazes the football. Um, and then there was a pass interference call uh, that basically meant it was an automatic first down. But if a ball is tipped, then there's no pass interference, right? Because it's considered to be like a free ball. But it changed the, exactly. the trajectory of the ball in any way. So you wouldn't traditionally consider it a tip. But if you're being a letter of the law, nitty gritty details guy, well, technically yep. 
the finger did touch the ball, right? So does that mean yep. that you shouldn't do the pass interference? And they decided to not do yes. that. They kept the pass interference uh, on the mind. field, which I generally agree with because you wouldn't traditionally consider that a tip unless you're watching it in slow motion, right? Uh, but they were so nitty-gritty letter of the law with this earlier fumble that I don't blame LSU fans for being pissed. So uh, uh, I didn't see that one. You're saying in this same LSU game, there was a tip, tip yeah. ball that got got yeah. intercepted. Well, no, 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 and no, no. It, uh, you, you, you remember we talked about this near the end of the game. There was a, a slightly tipped ball that uh, yeah. was not a completion, but the LSU was called for pass interference. But then they realized that there was a finger on the ball, so they reviewed it. And we're basically trying to determine was it enough of a touch to make it a tipped ball so then the pass interference would go away and it'd be fourth down, right? And then Alabama would have to right. kick a field goal instead of scoring the touchdown. So it was a big decision. Gotcha. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, to me, that, that should be no pass interference. The ball was touched. Okay. That, that's been a rule that's been around forever. Right? Well, so, well, that's interesting, again, though, because when we were texting about it, and I thought you understood what I was talking about, you said that, no, uh, they should basically they should uh, call the game how it should be called, even if, you know, basically not to uh, pay LSU back for, hey, we gave you a rough call earlier. Oh, no, we're going to no. kind of give you one now. I, I agree that I agree that you don't you don't do a makeup call. Yeah, when, if the conversation is about about call making a call that is ticky tack or hyper, uh, what I'm going to say, like shouldn't be called, um, uh, as a way of trying to uh, pay back for an, uh, an earlier error on your part or on your team, your your crew's part, I totally agree that that makeup calls are a terrible idea. I'm going to tell you that uh, a ball being touched uh, and, and that uh, disallowing a pass interference, that has been bedrock rules of football all the way back to the, when I played. Right. But, okay. it, but so if the, that's not, but if the finger, if the finger barely grazes it, like you can barely even see it in the slow-mo replay, no. do you consider that a well, tip? In my opinion, if if it if it's visible on replay now that we use replay, obviously back when I was playing there wasn't replay, so so it wouldn't have been called right back then because no one would have seen it without the the benefit of of slow motion review. Uh, but um, I, I would I would say that that is a rule that has been bedrock long enough in the sport that yes, I would say that's okay. Uh, uh, I thought I thought you were re referencing. Uh, some kind of a, a thing that had to do with the actual pass interference itself, where they were calling a, a really tight pass interference call, which was not consistent with how they were calling it, you know, the rest of the game, that kind of variation, right? Where you throw a flag when there shouldn't be one thrown based on previous circumstances that were very similar within that same game. That to me would be unacceptable. Okay. Then you're modifying your standard just to give this other team a call to offset a bad call from earlier. Right. 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 That that's the makeup concept. Right. So I think this other one would, would not fall into that category, at least not for me. 
Right. Okay. Uh, and yeah, the pass interference call was like a legit call. Like, I don't think there's any debate there. Right. Like he, that guy hit him. It was no doubt he hit him before the ball got there. All, all that. It was just that this tip changed that definition. Yes. Um, so the, to conclude this segment, um, I would just say that I would not I would not be surprised if in the offseason they modify that particular out of bounds rule um, to try to prevent, you know, people from exploiting it, because otherwise I think now that it's been shown in this prominent game, uh, I think it could be a problem. And I, I wonder about the other one you just described. I wonder if they might revisit the uh, the touch call on a pass, you know, to add the expectation or the judgment that it, it, did it disrupt the trajectory of the ball? Because if, if what you say is true, that the ball was touched, but it had no impact whatsoever on the on the, you know, the spin or the travel of the ball, you know, I, I've 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 very seldom seen that in right. my life. Yeah. Usually if it, the ball is touched, it's pretty obvious that the spin of the ball was affected and therefore, um, you know, it's a, it's a tip ball. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, some other interesting games week 10, uh, Clemson was playing against Notre Dame, which we did discuss last week. And I said that, uh, that Clemson would have to make some big mistakes like they did against Syracuse where they had like four turnovers, uh, to lose to Notre Dame, but that it was definitely, uh, possible. Um, and that kind of came true um, because um, Clemson ended up uh, giving away two pick sixes, uh, one pretty early on in the game. Uh, so uh, Notre Dame was able to beat them uh, 35 to 14. Yeah, that, and that's a substantial score. That's not just a little score. You know, Clemson's clearly been struggling, but has managed to you know, make it out of a lot of close situations and was still undefeated. Um, but I yep. think their their uh, their good luck finally ran out here in this Notre Dame game. Exactly, and 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 like I say, even with the the uh, interceptions, uh, turnovers, um, that's still a loss. I mean, you got you got handed it to you, right? Like that's a substantial score. So you got to give credit to Notre Dame, who's another team that struggled early in the season and seems to have seems to be riding the ship. Yep, very true, very true. Um, and I mentioned uh, Texas A&M and, and Florida earlier. Uh, Texas A&M played at home against Florida and were hit by a, a bout of the flu that took out a good number of their uh, team. Um, but they lost that one uh, 41-24, uh, particularly in the second half. I think they only scored like three points in the second half or something like that. Uh, and then with Miami, uh, they played against Florida State and got crushed uh, 45 to three. Uh, Florida State loved that. And <laughs> I always love it when Miami loses. I mean, I'm not a huge Florida State fan, but I hate Miami with passion. So so their demise is, you know, something I, I, I'm okay with. Yeah. So, yeah, like I mentioned, definitely pressure on uh, Jimbo Fisher and Mario Cristobal right now. Uh, right. Absolutely. Well. And so one one game I don't I don't remember whether we we even talked about this last week I'm, I'm figuring we might have uh, but the TCU Oklahoma um, game uh, well uh, TCU played Texas Tech oh I'm sorry that's what I meant to say TCU Texas Tech I'm trying to think of whoever that was I feel oh, it was Baylor Baylor beat Oklahoma ah yes you're right 
Yeah. Yes, that was uh, 3835. 3835, yep. And then, uh, and then, yeah, TCU, uh, uh, I mean, Texas Tech hung in there with TCU because TCU is another undefeated team that's right there hanging in that, you know, speaking of the uh, college football playoff rankings. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see where they find themselves this week. Yep. Yeah. And I, I will say, um, yeah, TCU definitely struggled early, you know, and they were behind, yeah, for a good part of that game, but they kind of pulled away in the late third quarter into the fourth quarter um, and were able to kind of secure it. Um, though one game yep. that uh, didn't quite go that way for the favorite, which was the odd situation, was Kansas State playing against Texas, where uh, they were actually the higher ranked team. Uh, and Kansas State lost that uh, 34 to 27. Um, it was a uh, an interesting game um, where uh, uh, Adrian Martinez was back as the starting quarterback uh, for Kansas State, um, and it seemed to be th- this was kind of the Adrian I think I was more used to seeing at uh, Nebraska, <laughs> where he had some yeah. he had some amazing long throws and. S- scrambles like clearly uh, Texas was getting pressure on him quite a bit. Kansas State offensive line wasn't really able to give him much protection. And there were several times where he spun out of situations and made a positive play where there should have been nothing and things like that. Uh, but then he also threw a pick uh, and then uh, fumbled the ball with 30 seconds to go when they were making a drive to potentially tie up the game. Adrian fumbled it and that was the end of the game right there. So. Right. That, that, and and actually, he fumbled twice late in that game in the fourth quarter. Um, uh, and uh, uh, but that last one was quintessential Adrian Martinez from Nebraska. Yeah, that was a repeat of the Nebraska experience. <laughs> phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal stats had just put the team on his back and really played and did a lot of great things, but ultimately fell short because he had that one mistake, you know, he had, he had been able to squeeze in between and be just fast enough to get, get away from two defensive tackles. And he, and he had successfully done it two or three times. And then in that play, he didn't quite get done. He's out there with the ball, you know, in one hand out, you know, and the guy gets it on the, gets his arm and rips it down and the ball goes bouncing out. And it's like, Oh my God, have I seen that before? Yeah. Uh, I forget if it was in the Kansas State game or the Kansas game, which uh, was another interesting upset where Kansas soundly beat Oklahoma State uh, 37 to 16. Um, But in one of those, um, there was a defender running after a running back who was off on a big play down the sideline. And you could see him. He raises his arm up and then just punches the ball right out of the guy's hands. It was a beautiful. Yep. Bring down the hammer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was you a betcha. Beautiful force fumble, um, and there were a lot yep. of force fumbles in that game, actually. Um, yes, and uh, Kansas was one of the big reasons they won. That was because they got three interceptions. Uh, Oklahoma State has had uh, similar issues of uh, uh, not really knowing what quarterback to use. I think here recently. Right, right, and they have have they lost two in a row now. Yes, because they lost to Kansas State the week before badly. The week before, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So the and before that they were undefeated and they had had the big victory over I think it was Baylor, uh, and so they were looking like they were in the mix, and then all of a sudden, 
right. the wheels came off they, these last couple of weeks. They lost TCU, so they weren't undefeated. Lost, lost TCU. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, and then one last one I'll mention here is uh, Illinois, of course, coming off the victory against Nebraska, went up against uh, Michigan State uh, and lost uh, 23 to 15, continuing the Husker curse, as it's been called this season. Yes, exactly. And and it's absolutely true. And I wouldn't be surprised, but it might not happen to Minnesota next week, too, because um much like uh, the Nebraska-Illinois game, the Nebraska-Minnesota game, Minnesota probably had four guys or five guys where there were injury timeouts where guys were on the field laying on the ground for quite a while and then eventually were helped off. Some of them returned to play later, but you know they're banged up, right? Coming out of that Nebraska game, that Minnesota team is banged up. And Illinois, I think, also had experienced that the previous week. There, There had been quite a few players that, you know, needed needed assistance to get off the field when they played us, and and but then you're Illinois, and and and, and you're playing. Now I, I believe that was at Illinois. You're playing at home against a team that has suspended eight players because of the previous incident, and at Michigan, and four of them were starters. So so they had to eliminate four additional starters, and you you probably figure there were a couple of guys on Michigan State's team that were normally starters that were out because of injury. So, you know, you're playing a team that's quite depleted, and you do that when you're in a position to win the West. I mean, you, you're you in the driver's seat if you're Illinois. Uh, this doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, you'd beaten Wisconsin already, you know? Right. And, right, and an MSU team that isn't particularly great this year. Um, no, right. And you're, it just blows me away. I just checked. You're right. It was at home for Illinois. So yeah, yeah. It just doesn't. It's not not explainable. You know. Yeah. And that's why all the people who are like, well, that's why we want to have we want to hire him as our coach. We need a guy like him. Well, he's a guy that's going to get you eight and four, nine and three regularly because he's a good football coach. But he also is a guy that has a history of doing laying an egg like this every year that keeps him from winning lots of championships. Yeah. Well, at this point, I'll take a, a cut, a coach that can get us to nine win seasons consistently. You know, if, oh, we, oh, absolutely. if, if we can get back to that level, you know, and then we're like, okay, we've, we've established this, but we want to go to the next level. You know, that's where we were under Bo Pelini. And we thought for some reason that Mike Riley was the guy who was going to do that for us. And that uh, was not no. true. Well, we, we didn't think, we didn't think Mike Riley was going to do that. Uh, uh, we had an idiot athletic director um, uh, who who didn't know how to who, who didn't know how to hire a, a a football coach, and but he fired a coach that had gone off the rails. You know, he fired a coach who yes. who, who he he should who should have been fired again the previous season. If, if you want to argue about Nebraska's uh, coaching process, you, you can talk about some just horrific athletic director hiring processes, which happened again after, after Frank Solich was fired and Bill Callahan was hired, that coaching search was abominable. It was horrible. Um, uh, literally, uh, uh, where we got rejected, we got, we had the university of Nebraska playing waiting on the tarmac in Fayetteville, Arkansas to hire Houston nut, who was Arkansas's coach at the time. Um, and Houston had agreed to it, and then he changed his mind, never got on the plane. 
very embarrassing. And we ended up with Bill Callahan. I I didn't know that story about the Houston guy. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so that was a disastrous hire, uh, a process. And then when we uh, when we uh, ended up firing him and um, getting Bo, Bo was the hot coordinator commodity at the time. But it was already known because we had already experienced Bo before that he was a hothead and had some some stability slash maturity issues that needed to be addressed. Okay, and and I think because our athletic director at that time then was Tom Osborne, I I really feel like Tom felt he could manage Bo uh, more than he turned out he could, and uh, and once he got here, he was successful enough that Tom certainly wasn't inclined to fire him and Tom was more inclined to try to work with him and to figure out a way to get him going. But then Tom retired and then they brought in Icorse who Bo Pelini didn't never respected. And so those two were like oil and water and hated each other. So you knew that Icorse was going to look for an opportunity to fire Bo and he did. And he had no plan. He had no, he had no guy already lined up. Right. And so, then we end up with Mike Riley, which was a disaster. Uh, Mike was never the, uh, the right fit for us. Um, and then, uh, uh, um, and I, of course, was a, uh, a horrible AD who was meddling in it way too much. So we've just had our share of bad hires. Yes, we definitely have. Uh, so looking ahead to week 11, um, there, aren't, there aren't as many big games, but there are a couple. Um, and one of the biggest is uh, TCU versus Texas. Uh, it is at home for Texas, and they're obviously coming off this nice uh, win over Kansas State. Um, and I think College Game Day is going there because it's you know a really big game for determining the Big 12 championship, right? If Texas can beat TCU, then the doors really swing wide open, I think. Um, but obviously, if TCU holds on and wins... Uh, then they will uh, continue to lead that conference. Um, so what are your thoughts on that game? What do you think the score will be? Well, I desperately, desperately want TCU to win this football game. But this is a point, this is a, a, a circumstance that I've seen many, many times playing out, going all the way back to the Southwest Conference days when TCU was part of the Southwest Conference along with Texas, okay? And TCU is little brother and uh, Texas is building momentum. And the Texas, if it's a, it's at Texas, mm-hmm. that the, 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 the history and reverberations in that stadium are going to cause TCU to underperform and TCU's better, better football team. Uh, and I want them to win desperately, but they're not going to win. Texas is going to win that football game. And um, uh, it'll be I'm about 10 points. So I'm going to say like uh, 31 to 21. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm going to go the opposite. Um, I was thinking about the home field advantage and obviously, you know, uh, Texas does have a lot of history there and obviously has a rabid fan base and everything. Uh, but also TCU is obviously within Texas. Um, so it isn't, you know, as much of a home field advantage as it might be for other teams. Um, 
And uh, I think this Texas Tech game, right, which was closer than they expected, it may be a good teaching moment for this uh, their coach to say, hey, you guys kind of dropped the ball here a bit against Texas Tech. This Texas team just upset Kansas State, right? So you got to take them seriously. You got to stay focused. Not to mention, I'm sure that they want to shed the little brother mentality that goes with uh, those two programs. So I think TCU is going to come much sharper than they did against Texas Tech. Uh, and I think they will win, but it'll be a high scoring affair. Uh, so I will say that TCU wins uh, 38 to uh, 28. I, I, I like your score and, uh, and I hope you're right. I want you to win on that one. <laughs> All right. Um, Oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, I did mention it before. Yeah, that I predicted that LSU would win over Bama, and I also predicted that Tennessee would beat Bama earlier in the year. So I'm not doing bad on my uh, upset picks here. You're season. not. You're right. All right. Um, and but that wouldn't be an upset. Uh, well, your your, your pick of TCU and Texas. Well, right. It's not an upset, but, you know, historically, it's an upset, even if it's not true this season. Um, Exactly. And then um, uh, two other big games are uh, Ole Miss playing against Alabama uh, and Oregon playing against Washington. Uh, The Ole Miss game is at home for Ole Miss, while Oregon is at home against Washington. Okay, so uh, if I'm going to pick those two, I'm going to say Oregon's beaten Washington. So, because uh, Oregon's at home, and that that stadium is 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 one of the tougher ones to go in and and play in. So I'm going to say Oregon wins that one. And uh, you know, I, I boy, I just haven't followed those teams enough to know how yeah. good their defense is. We don't have to do a score prediction here. Just say who, okay. who's going to win. Okay, gotcha. And then and then on the other one, uh, boy, it would be great to have Alabama lose two weeks in a row. And I really think Lane Kiffin would like nothing more than to to beat you know his former boss who he didn't always see eye to eye with so that would be spectacular so okay on uh, you know I, I i hate texas so much right <laughs> so i really want tcu to win that game so i, I and i hate alabama so much so i'm not going to do the same thing i've been doing i'm going to go ahead and pick old miss and uh, and say that it, since it's at old miss Right? Is that what you said? I did say that. It's at Ole Miss. Uh, I'm going to say Ole Miss is going to win that football game because Alabama is going to be. I mean, they're going to have. You know, they've had the fire and brimstone speeches already, right? Because they've lost and played poorly multiple times this season. So I don't know that that works. Um, And frankly, you know, Alabama's quarterback just hasn't played as well in recent weeks as he had previously. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's struggling a little bit mentally. And I don't know if he gets righted in this week. So let's say it's an old miss victory. Okay. Very good. I agree with you definitely on Oregon. Um, I think that, you know, I think, do think it is tough for Alabama to lose two weeks in a row um, because yeah. of Nick Saban and everything. Um, so I think I will say that uh, Alabama. Uh, closes that one out, but I could definitely see it being a close, a uh, good game because that's uh, Ole Miss is the other top contender in that division of the SEC. Right. Um, so I mean, if Ole, I don't know the exact, uh, you know, 
statistics, but I think if Ole Miss beat Alabama, they could very well go to the SEC championship instead of Bama because they'd have three losses at that point. Yes, that is correct. I think you're correct. All on that. in the SEC so. too. So yeah. Yep. Uh, um, yep. So then lastly, of course, we have to predict the Nebraska game. Uh, and uh, Michigan just played against Rutgers and was actually uh, losing in the first half, uh, but came roaring back in the second half and ended up winning uh, 52 to 17. Uh, and yeah. uh, pretty sure we're down by 20 some points in the, you know, odds making uh, world in this particular game. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not looking pretty for Nebraska, especially if we don't have uh, Casey Thompson back. Right. I totally agree. And I wonder if this is the moment where uh, the kids break, right? Where our team just recognizes we are who we are and begins to uh, abandon. And I I think you're going to see this across the country, not just at Nebraska, but I think in this new age of of, uh, uh, the portal, I think guys are going to be even more inclined to save their bodies and preserve their individual interests and stop uh, trying hard, uh, faking injuries, et cetera, uh, because they, they don't want to be in harm's way in a blowout. If things don't go well where, where Nebraska is uh, struggling early, I could see it getting really, really ugly. I mean, really ugly, like 50, 55 to 3. <laughs> Ouch. I'm going to I'm going to hope it won't be that ugly. Um but it is going to be uh rough for sure. Um because yeah, Michigan clearly has a good defense and uh when their offense gets rolling, you know, they they've been uh uh Harbaugh has really committed to the run this season from what I've seen from them. Um, oh, yes. And so that's something that will, you know, I think it might be similar to the Rutgers game where maybe we our defense is able to keep them from scoring very much at all in the first half. Uh, but we will uh, be run down in the second half, especially if the offense continues to three and out over and over. Uh, we won't exactly. be able to keep up. This, this is this is probably the best defense we will have faced all year. Right. Uh, and our offense has struggled against much less defenses than this one. And then on uh, on uh, our defense, our defense has played pretty well, but they're going to be put in such difficult situations and with a few turnovers and things of that nature. Uh, and you keep in mind two things. Michigan is fighting for positioning, right? Uh, so that even in the case of them, let's say, uh, uh, losing to Ohio State, right? they could still find themselves in the final four, much like Alabama was, right? In a year in which they didn't play in the, in the SEC championship game, uh, mm-hmm. Michigan could find itself in, in position five going into the conference championship games, in which case then after all of the dust settles from the conference championship games, maybe one of those teams loses, and Michigan slides in in the number four spot, right? So to do that, you have to have impress the heck out of people, maybe have the Heisman Trophy winner. So they're going to do everything they can to give Blake Corum the opportunity to make this his, his Heisman moment. And if he can get 300 yards, I think they're going get, to get it for him. 
Right. Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all. So I have a feeling that Jim Harbaugh will put the pedal to the metal, man. He will put the gas on and try to crush us. And if we aren't up to the task and if our guys show any quit, which keep in mind, the last time we were in uh, uh, Michigan, at Michigan, we played them in Scott Frost's first year, and our team didn't show up, literally gave up on that game. It was a joke. It was it was like 28 nothing in the first quarter. It was like our guys weren't even trying. Scott Frost just did not have them ready at all. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you remember that game? I think I've blocked it out, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I fear we have another circumstance very similar. Okay, we're going to go into that environment. It's going to be very raucous with the, you know, 100,000 plus fans and all that. And, uh, and they're a team on a mission. And we're a team that's just watching, looking at our, our, our watches and waiting for the season to get over. And, and that is a, that is a recipe for disaster unless, you know, our kids can find enough internal fortitude to step up and with our coaches, you know, it, I, I think the players know it. They know that they've effectively let Mickey down, right? Like they needed to win these winnable games against Illinois and Minnesota. And if they had done that, Mickey might very well be very much in the thick of the conversation for the job. And they know they've failed that. So their loyalty even to him is diminished now because they know that bridge is burnt. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you that there's definitely the risk of a total just uh, give up scenario. Um, yeah. And uh, it's worth noting that because of the losses that happened this week, it's m- most likely that Michigan is going to be number three on this week's college football playoff ranking. Uh, so right. Yeah, they uh, they're a very good team, and uh, they have motivation to make an impressive win over us. Um, yes, I'm gonna say that it will be uh, a rough game, but not as rough as you're saying. I think our defense will be able to hold them off for a while at least. Um, yep. And uh, if Casey uh, is back to play, I think we have at least a sliver of a chance. Um, if we don't have him, I, I don't see it happening at all. Um, so I'm going to say that we lose a 38 to 10. Yep. I, I, I like your score. I'm just, I'm just real. Uh, I'm, I'm down on our situation. I'm down, not on our players. I think they've fought really hard and valiantly, but I think this, this obvious tension that I feel I see between Whipple and Mickey leads me to believe that that things are about to unwind mm-hmm. and uh, and just get ugly. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that that's not the case, but I've seen it before with teams. And uh, uh, so that's why I'm kind of very bearish on, uh, on uh, our chances this weekend. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. You know, if somehow a Michigan sleepwalks into the game, uh, and we're able to pull off the upset. Obviously, that would be amazing. And we'll be here gushing yeah. on next week's podcast. But uh, that is a low possibility. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and and our optimism comes from with every passing week, we get that much closer to at least a final determination of who is going to be our next coach. And we can start building our our hopes around whoever that ends up being. Right. Very true. 
So thank you all out there for listening to this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast there so you get every episode or leave us a rating or review, a comment. We always love hearing from the fans. So thank you out there for listening. And thank you, for Dad, for joining me for this episode. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.